0: forest metaphors presented by progressive bundle and protect today progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates discount not available in all states or situations hey this is megan rapino and i'm sue bird we've decided to turn our crazy ig live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure enjoy the show a touch more new episodes of a touch more drop tuesday only on the blue wire podcast network Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
1: Another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Bet Online and Blue Chew. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show, and thank you to you for joining us on this episode of the show, one in which we'll be reviewing episodes seven and eight of The Last Dance, because that is pretty much all there is to talk about at the moment, and pretty much that's the only thing I want to talk about at the moment anyway. And here to do that with me today is the one, the only C Red Fred. Fred, how are you, sir? Mark, my friend, I'm doing uh, living the dream as
2: as well you can in a quarantine. But uh, this this doc just keeps on delivering. Just when I didn't think it'd get any higher, every week just comes with more emotional uh, delivery. I just can't believe. It. I thought the last seven and eight were the best best twos. No 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 surprise that episode number seven was in, was the best episode so far.
1: Yeah, the episodes keep getting better the more they delve into these sort of deeper and more significant topics. We probably didn't get that as much in episodes ones and two, which was just, you know, setting the table as to who Jordan was, who Pippin was, and then obviously going to Dennis and his background and those sorts of things. But the more we get into the nitty gritty of, of things and, and the, the commotion surrounding the team as we sort of start getting to get into that era now in episodes seven and eight, which covered off basically where we left off last time so essentially from 93 onwards into about 96 the end, the end of that first reap yeah the end of the, the first title of the second repeat I should say so that's essentially where this sort of docu- where these episodes take place so i guess a two and a half year, year span between 93 and 96 or somewhere in that vicinity at least it covers obviously jordan's uh, initial retirement the the unfortunate murder of his father, which you know the the impact that that had on on him, or as a personal le- on a personal level, but the the impact that had on him from um, his decision to retire, what that meant for the Bulls um, during Michael's absence, obviously Jordan playing baseball, what that meant to him, and then his his eventual return to the team in ninety six or in ninety five rather, the trials and tribulations of that season before moving into the uh, the legendary seventy two and ten season, so. At a very, very high level, that's what episodes seven and eight covered. But what were the things that stood out to you that uh, was most fascinating to you?
2: Well, I mean, there were a lot of great moments, I thought, in this episode. The the, the number one being at the end where Michael started to get a little emotional talking Mm. about how he played the game. I thought that whole section was phenomenal. One of the things I noticed in that specific section was they showed a a part of practice. And I kind of tweeted about this, but I think it's absolutely true. As a coach, who's I've been blessed to coach a lot of really good teams, um, girls basketball, my daughter's teams, my son's teams, over the course of the last you know ten or so years, uh, a lot of these teams have been great. And one thing I can say is, the players who finish first or near first in what are ladders they used to be called suicides and team sprints have been almost invariably the ones that are most conducive to winning. These are the players that I just love the coach. These are players that really. Care, and I noticed in that clip while he was talking, that they showed a clip of Jordan at practice leading the whole team in wind sprints. Did you catch that? Is I that did, something you yeah. caught? And yeah. that, so that was one thing that really stuck with me. And, and and I can count on one hand the amount of them who finished last who generate more wins. You know, like there have been a few occasions where we've had kids that are extremely talented that finished last, but it's so rare in general. That's been a fact. So seeing Jordan. You know, lead the whole team, I think that's, that's what really true greatness is about. When you have a guy who's so incredibly talented, yet he's the hardest worker on the team, that just is going to yield something incredible. And that's what we had here with Michael.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you referenced that that at the end of episode seven, where he started to get emotional to the point where he, he called for a break because he was getting emotional. And talking about what winning meant to him, what what it took to win, and, and and the price of his leadership and the price of winning and all that sort of stuff. I guess he was addressing the question of the fact that his teammates didn't necessarily like him or he didn't come across as a nice guy uh, as such. So that's where that sort of conversation sort of took place, and it was interesting to see Michael react that way. That was probably the realest moment we've had throughout the docu the docu series thus far of Jordan showing true. Actual vulnerability and, and emotion. So that was certainly interesting to see. But uh, I, yeah, it, it, the line that stood out to me was the fact that he never asked his teammates to do something he would never do. And to your point, you know, when you see jordan running sprints and running lanes and doing all the all those sorts of things the fact that he's the one doing it he's the one in front he's the one carrying himself that way he's dragging and pulling everyone with him in his own way we can debate if it had to be that way or if that's necessary to win you have to be a maniac like jordan but yeah uh, to his point he never did anything or asked of them anything that he would never do which is fascinating as is your uh, ability to always connect professional sports to your coaching career <laughs> with coaching kids uh, I, always, I find that fascinating too. <laughs> I, I, I got to throw one
2: other note in there. Tim Grover's part where he actually got yeah. choked up, I thought was that phenomenal. Was where he talked about uh, you know after they lost to the Magic and some, I remember those games extremely well. The team was thirty four and thirty one when Jordan came back in ninety five. They went on a run. You know they did really well to finish the year, but there were a lot of questions about MJ at that point. Like, oh my gosh, he's not what he's what he once was. And for him to tell Tim, you know, I'll see you tomorrow thinking he's going to take two weeks off. Just, just a testament to this guy's work ethic and greatness. He's just such a I, – I feel just so lucky to be in Chicago to witness this guy. I, I thank God that I was able to be a fan of this team. When this athlete came to Chicago, it's just so fortunate. It, it's like somebody who was a fan of the Yankees in the 20s, right? And got to see Babe Ruth or Jackie Robinson in the Dodgers. One of the greats. Michael Jordan, to me, beats them all. Like he's the greatest athlete of all time. And to think that I was formed. That's why I am what I am today. That's why I'm C. Red Fred. That's why no one else uh, loves the Bulls like I do. It's because of this guy, Michael Jordan. I just I worship the guy. I do have to note the section on the 1.8 seconds. Uh, for all the Pippin lovers out there and, and this is something that I grew I mean I lived through I remember this is extremely well um, If you know, 1.8 seconds left in that game what, what, what was lost in the documentary Was the context of what happened In that game The Bulls were down 2-0 They came back home They played great for the first three quarters They had an 89-70 lead Going into the fourth quarter The Bulls over the next 11.5 minutes Blew a 19 point lead uh, it was one of the most monumental, disappointing, embarrassing collapses I've ever seen in a basketball game. For them to blow that lead, and Ewing ties it up with 1.8 seconds left. So that's the context. If the Bulls, if Tony Kukoc does not hit that shot, you would have to be a moron to think the Bulls win that game. They absolutely lose that game in overtime. And if he misses, if he misses that shot, let's just assume he misses it. Tony saved Pippen's career in Chicago because Pippen basically rehabbed his whole image within that series. The dunk on Ewing happened in game six. There is no game six. If Tony Kukoc doesn't hit that shot, there is, and this is Tony Kukoc. This is the same player that Scottie Pippen had questioned whether or not he should even be in the league during the Olympics, a few, you know, scant two years or a year or so earlier. And for him to, in this doc say to this day that he would do it again, even after Bill Cartwright, is crying in the post game to me is pure insanity, pure insanity. And I was a little offended. Um, I love Scottie Pippen. He's one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. He, he could be the best defensive player I've ever seen. That's the only area he approaches Michael. And anything else, anybody who lived through it, no one would even question whether or not Scottie was in the same class as Michael because he wasn't. Nobody was. It's not, not a fault against him. Uh, but the the, the gap in the delta between those two was so huge and so massive. I think it's kind of ridiculous how there's been this movement to kind of put those two closer together when they're really not. You know, Scotty did not have that clutch gene. So I think I've kind of waxed poetic enough. What say you? I knew this was coming.
1: And I knew it was coming. Because <laughs> Here we go. In our <laughs> previous episodes that we've discussed, The Last Dance, it has been uh, – you have sort of alluded to uh, – I don't know what the right word is for. I would I've sensed a frustration among you, uh, amongst the force. Let's say amongst you, with your the way you deal with Scotty Pippen, or the way you interpret his legacy, and the way he should be, uh, the way he should be remembered, and. For whatever reason, you seem to have some issues with Scotty, or at least those who propel Scotty to certain levels in your mind, at least. So, given what was happening in episodes seven and eight, which you alluded to and jumped to just then, in terms of the fact that Scotty sat out in Game Three of the this Eastern Semis when Jordan had retired, yeah, I, I knew your, uh, I knew, I knew in advance what your reaction to that would be. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Personally, for me being the the massive Pippen fan that you. You're probably alluding to. I'm probably I'm one of the target audience that you are alluding to. I've got to <laughs> this day- always <laughs> To this day, I've got no issues with Pippen doing it only because I love Scotty so much. Obviously, in, uh, in a more rational moment, I can agree that it was an absolutely ridiculous thing to do. And him saying that he would still do it again to this day, um, maybe I'm giving Scotty too much credit, but you they are. did say at the time that he was regretful, He was he was tearful, and he apologized for doing it. Now, for him to say now in the documentary that he would do it all again, maybe there was something snipped out of it. Maybe he he, he there was more context that he wanted to add to that that he didn't necessarily add in the sense that, you know, as an example, maybe he did what he, he did and he would continue to do so. He doesn't regret that decision because it led to certain events like you were sort of alluding to that played out in a way that better, bettered him, bettered his team and made for the entire situation to be a lot more fruitful in that sense. So maybe that's what he was trying to say when he he was saying he didn't regret his, his situation or regret making that decision. So maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe I'm giving Scotty too much cover on that front, but... I'm prepared to go to bat for Scotty on that one. Well,
2: Jason Goff in the latest Bulls talk—I don't know if you heard this—had
1: yeah. had the ridiculous
2: analogy of where he was talking to Big Dave, Big Dave, who called it correctly, saying that uh, you know it was absolutely ridiculous that Pip what he did. There's absolutely no doubt it was an is an embarrassing moment, and he doesn't understand that people are trying to justify it. And then Jason said, "All right, let me throw this out at you. Let's say in six years the Bulls are contending for a title and on Bulls outsiders, Bulldog <laughs> tells him." Why don't you sit this one out? We're going to have to see Red Fred come in. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, I was literally just like, I couldn't believe you would throw that analogy out there. Here's the difference. Uh, Big Dave has come through time and time again. <laughs> Unlike Scotty at that point, who had the the migraine who had missed shot after shot in the Suns series when he was given the opportunity to win those games in the, in the middle, in the middle, uh, middle games in Chicago that we lost and Paxton had to save us in game six in, in Ugh. Jordan. Paxton Jordan had to save us in game six. It's, it's a ridiculous analogy for that reason. Now, I don't mind be calling Tony Kukoc, Tony don't get me wrong, but Big Dave, unlike Scotty at that time, has shown he's come through again and again. So although I will take uh, Bulldog's suggestion and just jump on the show as a fourth outsider, I don't think replacing him is a proper analogy. Do you, do you uh, see what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> talking in circles
1: here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous what you're trying to ascertain. But uh, look, what I would say is, and Dave on that podcast was – The way he would approach it, he said that he was... You know, if, if if Bulldog did make that decision, if Kevin made that decision, he whilst he wouldn't support it, whilst he wouldn't be happy with it, because that's the coach in that situation making the decision that he would accept it and he would uh, he would he would do whatever the coach says. Essentially, that's what he was saying. He was, he was playing, or suggesting that he would play the uh, the good sport on that, which I completely believe that would be Dave's character. But let me just say, if I was in Dave's position and I was on Bull's or outsiders, and Kevin came to me and said to me that uh, I'm replacing you with Sierra. C- see Red Fred tonight. I'm, I'm doing that for playoff coverage. If I was on Bulls outside, I would pull a Pippen if you were replacing me too. So I completely <laughs> understand Scotty's position on it. I, I it The makes correct sense. analogy
2: would be if Rusty <laughs> LaRue was called to take the shots instead of Pippen in that case. I'm just telling you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Or
1: instead of Tony. But oh, man, I wanted good to talk stuff, about that man. because the, uh, uh, it's interesting how Pippen is being portrayed in this because a lot of it has been about his poorer moments, let's say. So you referenced then the uh, you know some of his playoff failures, if we want to call it. There, they've obviously touched on the the contract issues that he's had throughout the years with Kraus, the the Kukoc stuff. Obviously, they've touched on that already. We went into the one point eight seconds last night on uh, on on episode seven and eight. So from a Scotty from from scotty's perspective at least the, the bigger talking points that they've discussed in this in this uh documentary series at the moment have probably been more so on the negative sides of scotty or the, the at least the, the the bigger points that will land with the audience at least those who aren't familiar with with scotty's body of work it's probably been more on the negative side I, I don't know how you feel about that but i've i've been uneasy about it and, and look i'm not surprised given that this is a yeah, is, this is a project that Jordan has his hands all over so I'm not surprised that those elements are sort of taking shine particularly in a a documentary where that those sorts of narratives are probably more entertaining and uh, will probably rivet the audience a lot more than Scotty being you know the ultimate defender the ultimate teammate all that sort of stuff they didn't really get into that '94 season at all which again no surprise given that Jordan wasn't there but I don't know what, what, how do you feel about them sort of overlooking certain aspects, not just when, not just with certain not, not just with Scotty, but uh, even other, other members of the team, even Phil and I, And then I, like-
2: I'm, I'm shocked you're, you're hearing this. I started to hear this narrative that this has been unfair <laughs> to Scotty, and it I'm has. like shocked. I totally disagree with that. Number one, it's changed my opinion in, in, of him somewhat, in that, for the better, in that every teammate unequivocally loves the guy. I haven't heard one negative statement about Scottie Pippen as a teammate. You heard it from Kukoc. You heard it from Kerr, Wennington. Every guy beloved Scottie Pippen. Now, I will admit, I I was not aware of his universal love, even Michael Jordan, for Scottie Pippen. And it wasn't aware there was such a universal love for him as a teammate. And for that, he absolutely deserves credit. I mean, he did engender quite a bit of admiration and respect. But as a fan who lived through that era, um, like I thought they – I thought glossing over the loss, the migraine game, to me was the biggest mistake. That migraine game, to me, I'm going to bring this up with my friend Sylvie, hopefully in the next few weeks. And i hopefully going to have him on the show. i got to invite him on. But to me, up until that point, that was the worst loss in the history of the Chicago sports. It was worse than 84 Cubs, 83 White Sox, 89 Cubs. I think it's even to this day underestimated how devastating that loss was. When you look back at that time, there was discussion about the Michael and the Jordanaires. Was this team good enough to to win a title with Michael Jordan? The, they had lost 4-1 to the Pistons 2 years previously. The year previously they lost 4-2. You bring in Phil Jackson, you lose 4-3 with Scotty's migraine. Uh, Horace Grant goes 3 of 17, BJ Armstrong 1 of 8, Scotty Pippen 1 of 10. There was massive questions at that point whether or not the Bulls would ever win a title with this cast of characters surrounding Michael Jordan. There were even questions about Michael, even then, which was which was utterly ridiculous because, in my opinion, he was ready to win titles in in 1986. It was his teammates who weren't ready, and to have that type of performance in such an important and pivotal pivotal game, there were massive questions about Pippen. He didn't make the All Star team in '91. He signed his contract or questions about his health. Um, He absolutely performed better than his contract. But that, the 1.8, again, I thought was a little bit soft-pedaled. It was a massive, massive issue in Chicago. And I think he was even traded. Let's be honest, what happened? For those who aren't aware, Dave Kaplan, you can listen on Bullseye to this story. The Bulls traded Scottie Pippen in June of 1994. After this playoff series, that game occurred in May 13th. That we're talking about one eight, uh, the one point eight game. The Bulls lost in seven to the Knicks. He was absolutely traded for for Sean Kemp, and the Bulls were going to move up from 21 to 13, and the Sonics were going to get moved down from thir- uh, 13 to 21. So they were actually going to move up in the draft and get Sean Kemp. I remember working that evening and and hearing about this and thinking Sean Kemp is one of the best. Six players, seven players in the NBA. This is a great trade. I was excited. I was absolutely excited just because there was still such a stain about the one point eight, and the fact that they weren't going to go anywhere. We just if it's if this was a team with Scotty as the best player, they weren't good enough to get to to a title, and win a championship. Whereas Sean Kemp was an exciting player. That that trade was not stopped in Chicago. That was stopped in but in Seattle when fans started canceling their season tickets because Sean Kemp was traded. So. I have a completely different view of Scottie Pippen than most people because I do remember what it was like before they won the three titles and then the 1.8 happened. He was not at the status that he is today and looked at fondly. No doubt about it, he's one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. But he had a lot of holes in his game, in, in just my opinion, in terms of coming through when it mattered most. 1998 against the Indiana Pacers, game three. He had two massive free throws to, to wrap up that game. The Bulls would have gone up 3 He bricked them both. Reggie, Reggie Miller comes down, hits a three, the Bulls lose. So, I mean, he had he had – that cost him 2-1, to one, and that game ended up going 7. It should never got to that point. There were a lot of times he failed like that. I never trusted him like I did Michael or even Tony when the game was on the line, on the offensive end. I know there's a lot of people listening to his role in their eyes, but if you live through those years like I did, I, I don't – that's the other thing is I don't think he was ever a top-five player in the NBA. Barkley was better at that point. Elijah uh, won, David Robinson. Um, trying to think of some of the other players during that era – uh, that were really great. No, I, mean, I mean, you
1: don't have to. Scotty was amazing in '94. I mean, that
2: could- year, that Mark, that was the only year you, Sha- Sha- Shaquille O'Neal was better uh, in, the, in the years after that. Um, that was the only year I'd say he was a top five player. And I think he did make first team All NBA that year. Is that? I, I'll go back and check. Right? But well, I I'll let you respond to my comments. I've so. I've talked on for a while here. What's your opinion?
1: Yeah, I, I'm just. My opinion is you hold grudges against Scottie Pippen, and like just like you hold grudges against someone like Jimmy Butler. I I get it, Fred. You're a you're a vengeful person. Oh you, you hold your grudges, and that's that's <laughs> what I'm taking away from it. Okay. Every time we talk about Jimmy Butler, you talk about his failures against Boston in that series, but you never bring up the good things. It's always it's always that. And it's similar with Scotty, and I've sensed it throughout our conversations over the last few weeks in in talking about the last dance, and I and I knew it was just going to come back as a topic. And we've spent the last ten minutes talking about Scotty Pippen. That, that's how much you hold your grudges, my friend.
2: All right, so here: Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, <laughs> David Robinson, uh, the uh, Clyde Drexler,
1: the same names Akeem you before, What's it? <laughs> what'd you say? So they're the same names as you mentioned before. Let's move on. Let's move on. You're a Scotty hater. I'm a Scotty appreciator. I'm not a Scotty hater. I think he's a fantastic player. Eh, debatable. I don't think that's the (laughs) case. He's better than Jimmy Butler, no doubt. Go on. (laughs) Moving along. uh, Let's talk about the rest of episodes seven and eight before we do so. Let's take a quick break. First, let me tell you about Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? Then no problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can also still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, Stock Prices, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All of that is open 24 hours a day and all of it is online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BlueWire to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Let me also tell you about Blue Shoe. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work even faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't even need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's bluechew, blue 2com promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, back to the podcast now. Let's move on from talking about Scotty Pippen because we're going to get lost in that conversation again for another 10 minutes. I wanted to talk about this the mystique around Jordan being this, you know, psychopathic winner of sorts, the fact that he had to be this crazy, obsessed. Winner, the way he was. What What are your opinions on this? Because in watching episode seven and eight, I was I was going back and forward as to whether it had to be this way or and whether it could only be this way based on the teammates that Michael had. And and I say that because and I alluded this to. I alluded this to this last week where I was I mentioned Tim Duncan and the fact that Tim Duncan won just as much as well not just as much but won is won pretty heavily in the NBA, going about it in a completely different approach to Michael Jordan yet. He was obviously uh, wildly successful, as were the Spurs. Completely different approach to the Bulls to, to Jordan, which I, I guess suggests that there's obviously there's multiple ways you can go about this, multiple ways that you can win. But what are your thoughts around Jordan's perception in terms of him being this jerk, the one, this guy that this guy that didn't necessarily get along with his teammates? So we saw the way. He treated Scott Burrell. We saw, or they got into the the whole punching incident with Will Perdue and Steve Kerr and and what that sort of did for those guys, but the team itself. But do you think it was necessary for Michael to be this crazy maniac that he was in in order to to bring out six rings or could it have happened a different way?
2: I don't think it could have happened a different way. I think think those players weren't good enough for them to be treated like Tim Duncan treated them. Like I think he needed to pole. He needed to toughen up Scotty and Horace. They were not, to me, mentally or physically tough enough to beat the Pistons. Um, and that was proven in the fact that how awful they played continually for the first two years in the playoffs against them. I think it finally got to the point where Michael said, listen, I need you to be more scared of me at practice than you are of the Pistons. You're not going to have any choice here. You're either going gonna to deal with them and stand up to them you're going to have to deal with me that was how i always viewed that situation um but i will admit it's a very fine line like i i've I've run into guys in my career like not like michael skill-wise or you know you have to bring it on the court if you're going to be like that i always bring this story um in my younger days i'm not going to mention the the guy's name i'll just let's just call him tommy Tommy was an excellent basketball player. It's a true story. Tommy right. was an excellent just, basketball just before player. You go on, though, yeah. Are
1: you going to be the Jordan in this parallel?
2: <laughs> let's just assume I'm always the Jordan in these uh, <laughs> these stories. But I was always a very I was more let's say the Tim Duncan type of teammate. I always believed in, you know, building guys up instead of tearing them down, you know, that kind of attitude. But you can play a difference. I, I was never – this is going to my high school days. In high school, I was not the best player, as unlike I was in, in, in grammar school. But in high school, I was right in the middle. And we had a guy in our high school team, just call him Tommy, who was a complete jackass, who thought he was a good player, but he wasn't great by any means. And he loved to demean other players on the team when they didn't do well. And so there was a situation that we had early in the year. There was a kid on our team who got fouled, Steve M., uh, anybody who was there remembers this situation. Two, two free throws to end the game. We were down by two. He pulled a Kirk Heinrich and bricked both of them. <laughs> and so so uh, in the locker room afterwards, Tommy was just berating this kid, Steve, just calling, well, you're, you jackass, you cost us the game, you mother effer, just, just r- yelling at him. It was so uncalled for. A lot of us stepped in and said, you know, pound sand. And uh, eventually we diffused the situation. But lo and behold, lo and behold, here we are in the playoffs. Let's fast forward three months. We're in the playoffs. First round, and guess what happens? Tommy gets fouled with no time left on the clock. I think we were down one, actually. Take this back. We were down one, and he had two free throws. And he missed both of them. And nobody on that team talked to that kid. In the locker room, nobody said a word to him. Nobody gave him a word of encouragement because that jackass got what he deserved. (laughs) So that's the difference. Like If you're going to act like that, you better be able to talk the talk and walk the walk, right? Michael could. Michael could. And, and, And as he said, too, there was nothing I asked my teammates to do that I wouldn't do. That may be so. I just don't ever believe in like questioning the manhood of teammates i don't ever think that's a good thing it's the same thing jimmy butler did except with far less great results you know basically with first round exits so what good is that you know like uh, michael actually won titles that's what matters and i think what he did was uh you know the resu- results speak for themselves weddington said it what say you
1: well, I don't know. I go back and forth at, on, on the whole situation because, you know, ignoring your illustrious playing career and that you know, soliloquy that you sort of just dove into and how that related to my question somehow, um <laughs> I go back and forth on it because to me... In a sense that Michael could probably only get away with being that way based on the personalities that Phil was, the, who Scotty was, who Horace was, who all these players around him were, were, and, and their willingness to accept that style of leadership. If they were different type of personalities, different type of people who maybe wouldn't, wouldn't want to hear it that way, then maybe Michael's abrasiveness wouldn't be able to be received in the way, it, in the way he was sort of delivering it. So in a sense, it could work. For Jordan, for the Bulls, obviously it did work based on who all the personalities were putting that all in the melting pot and it coming out the way it did. It clearly worked, but I just wonder with different personalities if it could work like that. And, and maybe it doesn't. Maybe, maybe that is the, uh, the beautiful thing about team sports is that the mix of it all is what makes it all work. Jordan can be a, a complete psychopath like that to, to someone like Scotty to Horace because they're the type of personalities who need that, who would welcome that. Whereas, I don't know if Jordan tried to do that against Charles Barkley. If Charles Barkley was his teammate, would, would Charles be as receptive? I don't know. Or insert whoever player's name who, who you want in that, in that case. Same thing with the whole Tim Duncan thing. And that's why when I think about it, I go back and forth as to did it need to be this way? Well, I don't know if it did, but clearly it worked. So who cares? The, the results are what they are. But it's, it's just an interesting uh, thought experiment, I suppose.
2: I don't think that form of leadership works anymore, though. Probably not. Like I think there were there were guys back when Michael played when I was growing up. It was a lot more accepted. It was a lot more of the Bobby Knight mentality where coaches would just berate players and just tell them how much they sucked. And it was just like a it was just more a lot more accepted. It doesn't go that way anymore. You, you it's more of a sales job. I think Boiling is partly you know kind of like from that era and Thibodeau and uh, those guys those those days are long gone. You know, I think you really need to be more of a salesman in that coaching
1: position to have any monochromous success. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that based on today, for sure, for sure. Another thing that was pretty key in episode seven and eight was the uh, building up the legend of Jordan. Not that they necessarily needed to do that, but the fact that he would take any slight... Of, of any level, no matter how small or big, and, and would use that as fuel to to get him going, which I guess is what he needed or was part of the reason why he retired in, in 93, the fact that he had no more motivation anymore. The media had probably driven him out of the game. We obviously touched on the, uh, the, the passing of his father. That most certainly had an impact on his decision to retire as well. But the fact that he had nothing really left to achieve in the game at the end of 93 is probably why when he came back, he needed these small little things to 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 get him going to to motivate him the way he did cuz he still was the best he still was the greatest when he came back so they they touched on the things with George Carl uh, uh with that, that classic memeable moment where yeah, Gary Payton is talking about how he was sort of locking up Jordan. Then they quickly cut the Jordan of of Jordan watching Payton talk about that on the iPad and then Jordan Michael just obviously laughing at that. And the fact that uh the glove did nothing to necessarily uh negate his performance. George Carl was the Le Bradford Smith stuff. There was just these elements of these stories sprinkled in about it where someone would do something, uh if it was real or even not, like the Le Bradford Smith stuff. Obviously they went into um Bj Armstrong and what he did in Game Two in '98 as well. So those those sorts of things were were touched on in this episode as well, and just sort of helped build the uh, the the mystique or the mythology of Jordan, I suppose. Yeah,
2: there's so what really hit, struck me is there's so many things that happened in his life that I wonder if it didn't happen, if things would have ended up completely differently. Let, let's just touch on you know his father getting shot in a random act of violence and. You know, just the way the press was was so irresponsible and so nauseating, and with this incredibly dumb, you know, conspiracy theorist running a, uh, around. You know, when the odds clearly are that, uh, or, or all the evidence showed that it had nothing to do with that. The evidence was this guy was murdered in a burglary attempt, and you know it was so. If what, but what happens if if he didn't? If his father never parked the car there, what happens if his father lived? You know, I wonder if he would have quit basketball. I wonder if he would have played baseball. I know he said he was thinking about it then, but I think that's a much easier discussion or easier thing to say with his father gone, you know, and you lose your passion for playing basketball. I do wonder what would have happened. What would have happened if um, Tony Schott was missed and Pippen would have been traded? Would he have come back? Would he come back if it was um, Sean Kemp on the team? I think he would have was in, in Tony at the three, but, you know, we don't know. We'll never know. What would happen if Paxson missed the three against the Suns? Then would have gone to game seven? Would he have won that game? Would it have been a different story? If the Bulls would have lost to the Suns, would he more like come back to win another title? You know, so there's all these what-ifs there, but, um, you know, at, at looking back, it, it, I don't think the story could have been written much better, although I will say – oh, the other one was the the, the baseball strike. I don't know if he would have come back if there wasn't a baseball strike in 1994. It seemed like he was pretty dedicated to the game of baseball if there wasn't that strike. I don't know if you believe that. It sure seemed that way in watching the Doc.
1: Yeah, that's the way it was positioned. Again, I don't know if I believe that either. I mean, it's hard to say given we don't know how it would have played out and maybe if he continued on. I mean, they had the baseball people on there talking about if he continued playing or putting in the effort that he was and continued you know gaining that experience that he could have made the major leagues or something of that nature who knows how good he would have been or if he even makes it but yeah it's a fair point if if they don't have that strike then maybe jordan doesn't entertain coming back but it, it is a big what if but those sorts of scenarios littered most careers you can do, you can play the what if game with with literally everything but yeah, it, it it was fun to think about all that stuff. It was fun to think about all the small slights that Jordan had to sort of get through, or not get through, but even manufactured himself and the way he used that as fuel to just push through that second three, Pete, because he had done it all. He needed something to fuel him beyond obviously just the the cause for winning. And uh, I I've I've really appreciated B J Armstrong in the last couple of episodes. I thought he's been damn good.
2: Yeah, uh, I I I do feel too like um. The one thing I will say about this talk I've been frustrated with is uh, Tony Kukoc was a key member of that team. He's been relegated to just two small sections of discussion of how he was embarrassed on the U.S. Olympic team and then obviously the 1994, uh, you know, what happened with the 1.8. Um, I was happy they showed Phil's reasoning for, for putting him in, the, in that position that he did hit a bunch of game-winning shots that season. Uh, But outside of that, he's been almost non-existent, not talked about. I found that disappointing because to me, he deserves better. Um, But that's only probably one of the few things I have an issue with in this whole doc I think outside of that it's been absolutely fantastic
1: yeah we've been having this discussion on the Bulls HQ discord forum if you want to be part of that send us an email at bullshq at gmail.com but we've been talking about our feelings about the documentary more more from a holistic standpoint and what you know if it meets our expectations and to some degree it always will because we are obviously Bulls fanatics if you are listening to this podcast I'm sure you're listening to The Last Dance You're you're a hardcore Bulls fan so no matter what they produce given that It's Michael Jordan. We're all going to be, you know, just enthralled with what's going on. We're just going to be completely entertained by it no matter what. But, you know, maybe stepping back slightly and maybe being a little bit objective about it, it, it's probably been more of a Jordan puff piece than a Chicago Bulls recount of sorts, which is why certain things have missed, been missing in the episodes that I would have liked to have seen. Like they didn't even talk about Hugh Hollands in 1994. Uh, the, you just alluded to the coup coach stuff there. Maybe we get more Tony that we're in episodes 9 and 10 where they're probably going to go into that Pacers series and, and he was really good in that Pacers series and saved the balls to a degree. So maybe we'll get more Tony there. But it, it, it is interesting how there's been certain elements of it that I would have liked to have seen that we probably didn't necessarily get. Um, they didn't, they didn't mention really Kemp at all in the 96 finals. He was pretty damn amazing in those finals. So there's, there's yeah. elements of that that have been missing, which I'm not surprised given that, again, Jordan has been the, uh, the driving force behind this documentary was always going to be given that he was involved in the, uh, production of it, I suppose. But at the same, at the same point or the same time, I would have liked to have seen certain other elements covered off like Kuko, Chloe Pippen, like other, like other little storylines throughout the years.
2: I did think too, you know, this was the episode where people were saying it was a little controversial that he'd be portrayed negatively. And there absolutely was that. I mean, it's not great. Some of the stuff he was saying to Scott Burrell, right? But then you also saw the counter where Scott Burrell brings in two guys from his Connecticut team where Michael takes his time. He's laughing with them, joking around with them. I mean, it was just so cool to see Michael you know, for for a teammate to step in and be just like such a class act for two two other guys from the UConn and see him joking around about how they have a great women's team. And it was just, I, I love that scene. Like that, that to me also shows the great side of the man. And I think he is absolutely a great man. I know he has his fault as all people do. I mean, you know, some of the heroes in my life, you know, you heard about John Kennedy, for example, you know, though he had a lot of faults that people didn't talk about it at that time and didn't realize until many years later, but overall in, in the grand summary of, uh, of, of the, of the man, I don't see how you can watch this and, and not feel like this guy was really something, you know, like, and not admire him, which leads to my question to you. I'd like to bring this up, which I kind of touched on in our Twitter back and forth. I like to throw out a couple of names and i like you to tell me, do you feel better or worse than you did before in this documentary about this player? Mm-hmm. So you want to do this?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Michael Jordan feel better. I was always going to feel better. I I, I alluded to it last week. but There's no way he I was going to feel worse unless something horrific came out that we didn't know about. But of course, uh, this you know watching this has just reinforced uh, his greatness. The fact that he is the goat, and I think that in part is a reason why this uh this whole thing went went uh has sort of been produced, the fact that uh, maybe Jordan just wanted to reclaim, not necessarily reclaim, but just let the young youngins out, out there know who maybe have never seen Jordan, who he is or how he played, all that sort of stuff. Just let him know, let them know who exactly he was. So Jordan, uh, yeah, comes away looking even better than what he did before.
2: Yeah, before this, Doc, if you ask me, if there's one person in the world that you'd like to spend 10 minutes with to talk to, um, I would, I would have said Michael Jordan. The only difference now is I would want 20 minutes. So, that's uh, that's how much better I feel about him. He's, to me, the greatest uh, human being in the history of the world, outside a few other people. Me. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can go back. Uh, there's been a couple of good people out throughout the centuries, but he's definitely up there in the top 10. Uh, Scotty Pippen.
1: We'll see, the way he's been perceived on the documentary, to me, I think, has been at a detriment to him, I believe. Now, It hasn't changed my views of him. I still love Scotty. Scotty, it's funny. I I prefer, like, whenever we have a star player on the balls, which is rare these days, but whenever there is that top-line talent, they're not the ones that I typically gravitate toward, and not that I don't recognize their talent, not that I don't love those players or appreciate them, but it was was the same thing with Jordan, same thing with Derrick Rose, but... It, to me it's just like common sense or just it's written in stone that you, you love and appreciate those players, where it's guys like Noah, guys like Taj, guys like Kirk, guys like Pippen, who I tend to love more for whatever reason. I, I don't know I don't know exactly why that is, but to me, I don't know. The the way that Scotty has been perceived in this doc, again, it's more of a Jordan production than it is a Bulls production. I would have liked it to have been a little bit different. So I think generally there might be a chance that other people view Scotty a little bit differently, but to me I haven't changed my opinion of him.
2: Yeah, I, I actually believe it or not say my opinion of Pippen is better. And that's almost strictly uh with the universal um, universal comments from teammates how much they loved him. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't say mine was low before, but it definitely I definitely felt he wasn't uh you know, one of the top five players from that era. I think he's absolutely top 50 all time. I think he's probably the best defensive player, but I just didn't have as high of a few of him as everyone else did, but I definitely feel better about him now. Let's go to Phil Jackson.
1: Well, see, I would have liked to have seen more Phil, to be honest with you. We've seen snippets of Phil and, and his wizardry, if we want to say that, but um, I would have liked to see more Phil as well because I he's he's an intriguing character. So my opinion probably hasn't changed too much. Uh, if anything, it's grown slightly, but I would have liked to have seen more what Phil did. Just, just I mean, we talk about coaches managing egos in today's game, but imagine just being in that situation where you're not only trying to manage Jordan, the the biggest player that's ever seen in this game, but you've got the whole dynamics happening with Kraus. You got Jerry Reinsdorf just sitting on his ass doing absolutely nothing. So, I uh, the way he managed his men, I, that to me is very interesting, and I, I would have liked to have meant that to be explored a little bit more than what it has.
2: How about, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf?
1: I, my negative opinion of Jerry Reinsdorf grows by the hour I watch these documentaries. And I, I have an overwhelming feeling that after episode 10 concludes that I'll be very, very pissed off at Jerry Reinsdorf, even more so than I have been in the past. (laughs) Okay.
2: How about, uh, (laughs) that's interesting. Steve Kerr.
1: I love Steve Kerr. Every time he talks, um, I'm hooked. Uh, I'm um, enthralled by Steve Kerr. I wish he was part of the Bulls organization. That's that's the one thing that annoys me about the Bulls is that most people who have been connected to this franchise have left the franchise and never, haven't necessarily ever come back. And Steve Kerr is one of those guys who I would have loved to remain with the Bulls in some capacity, whether that was years ago as a, as a general manager, whether that's more recently as a coach, the, the fact that he's... Coaching elsewhere, uh or he's not part of the Bulls in some some shape or form. Like that bothers me. So uh, I wish I wish Bulls players, including Steve Kerr, were were more connected to the franchise. And it's sad that that isn't the case. Uh, Dennis Rodman. uh probably the same. Probably just you know I, my admiration hasn't necessarily changed.
2: Okay. Anybody else you wanted to add? Those were the main ones that I wanted to get your opinion uh- on. There's not really any ma- major figures that we no, have really I mean
1: on. my feelings on Krauss are the same. I think mostly they're all the same either because they haven't shown enough of those guys within the documentary It's been mostly about Jordan um, or things have gotten worse for certain people like Ryansdorf, but for Jordan obviously the love has uh grown a lot more, and that would be the case given the most of the uh, documentary has been about him
2: agreed agreed and it's been great i cannot wait for the final two little bit uh i gotta admit a little bit of sorrow that these will be the final two but i got great news for you mark i'm working on a documentary of the three alphas um so the three Alpha season i might actually enlist your support uh with some comments uh, i do need some opposing views and i'm sure right. yours are going to be exactly opposed to mine but uh most likely. uh yeah I, it should. T- it's going to be a mini documentary. So it won't be too long. Probably about ten minutes long, maybe fifteen. <laughs> yeah. But I think you'll. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a. It's a justification for the three alphas. It's a review of the season, and of the. And we all know the story, right? The uh, unfortunate uh, break of um, Rondo's uh, thumb. But I'm trying to get interviews with Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and. Uh, Rondo so far i 've been unsuccessful in those attempts <laughs> 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 but
1: <surprising>, but,
2: uh, <laughs> i'm hoping to get them on board and it, it would be a entertaining uh doc, i think so i hope you I hope to get your support
1: well one hundred percent i'll i will i happily be part of it now in saying that I do know your uh Lead times in terms of production is uh, quite long, uh, if I if based on your previous efforts. So I'm not <laughs> expecting it to see the light of day before the world blows up and it, it sort of inhales itself. So, um, my expectations 10 year anniversary of, <laughs> in terms of my expectations of delivery of the product to the masses, I'm not expecting anything within the next 20 30 years, something of that vicinity. But um, when it does finally get out and surfaces and you do finally get to talk to jimmy butler rondo wade all the other parties that were involved then i most certainly will be looking forward to uh seeing it and plugging it on twitter if twitter is still a thing at that point
2: well, I'm open for an idea about the title of the doc. So if you have any, please send them over to me. Fans, listeners of uh, Bulls HQ, please send me those at uh, at CBE Fred on Twitter or Chicago Bullseye at com. And if uh, you give me a good idea for the title of the doc, I will give you uh, congratulations in the, in the credits.
1: Well, there you go. And, and alluding to my point about your slow production time, you did say on record on this podcast last week that we would have – a sneak peek, or not even a sneak peek, we would have the full version of the Heinrich song to share with the listeners. I, but Did I really say that? You did say I, that, and what, to no surprise- I hit the basement you, with the basement. <laughs> <laughs> to, to no <laughs> surprise, you've, uh, you've failed to meet the deadline. So, um, yeah, that just voice backs up a my point about hoarse. not necessarily seeing your uh, three alphas dock anytime soon.
2: I should have not have concentrated on that doc so heavily. I should have finished the Heinrich song first. I promise I'll give a, a better focus and uh, deliver what I
1: was uh, promised to you. Wow. I can't
2: believe I didn't come through with that. Are you sure?
1: Yeah, I, I, I got to go back it. and listen yeah, to the last I can episode. believe that you didn't come through with it. So um, <laughs> right. maybe one day soon. Soon. All right, that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. As Fred sort of suggested, the episodes nine and ten of the Last Dance air next Sunday. We will be back then to discuss. The final wrap-up of The Last Dance, that has been fun. It's given us something to talk about during this pandemic when no basketball has been played. So... We'll, uh, we'll see how uh, what we'll be talking about after then, but it, I I am thoroughly looking forward to watching the last couple episodes of The Last Dance and wrapping that up with you, Fred. Thank you for joining me today, my friend. Thank you to listeners for listening into the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at CBE Fred. You can follow me at MK Hoops. Follow the show too at Pod. Send us an email at bullshqpod at gmail.com. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for listening in. We'll be back next week to to talk all things Last Dance episodes 9 and 10. But until then, speak soon, Bulls fans.